This is the Howard David Show on 98.7 ESPN. Good music selection. I'm going to fall asleep. (laughs) Just joking. Never want to antagonize the support personnel, the producers, the techs. Never. Because they got you. They can make you sound really stupid. I could do that on my own. 800-919-3776. Make a notation of that number. So if you're a Jet fan and you watched the game yesterday, were you happy that they won or miserable that they didn't win? Well, I mean, they're up. I'm watching the game, and if I in the first half, if I heard one more time that the Jets had a twenty to nothing lead at one point in the game, I was going to really just give up my lunch. Enough. I get it. They blew a twenty. They didn't blow the lead. These are the Jets, and I knew that they were going to come out strong against the Commanders. There was never a question in my mind. They were going to beat the Commanders. I didn't have any question about it. But that aside, the Giants, by contrast, up against a Philadelphia Eagle team that's got a legitimate chance to get to the Super Bowl. And they played them tough. Yeah, they wound up losing the game, but that's a game you walked away from if you were a Giant fan and you said, you know what? They they got there, they went out there and they, they busted their tails to give the Eagles a game. And who knows? Maybe that Hail Mary at the end falls in the Giants' hands and they wind up winning the game. You don't know. But as, I mean, we when we got through with the baseball season and the Yankees and the Mets both had miserable years, we said, all right, the Jets are supposed to be, Aaron Rodgers is here, they're going to be better, the Giants will be improved, we'll have a better football season. So we had a bad baseball season and we've had a murderous football season. What are we rooting for now, the Yankees and the Mets? I'm stunned and nothing shocks me. I've been in this business too long to say I'm shocked. But I was stunned that either the Mets or the Yankees didn't get Yamamoto. I thought I thought the Mets for sure were going to empty the cash register and get Yamamoto. And now, as if I didn't hate the Dodgers a lot before, I really hate them now. Because now they're public enemy number one. You got Otani. You got Yamamoto. You got Freddie Freeman. I mean, come on. That's a loaded baseball team. If they don't win the World Series this year, then they ought to just throw in the towel. With what they've got to go on, there's no question in my mind. That's the team to beat. As for the Knicks, I'll be straight up. One thing I won't do to you, I will never lie. And I'm not lying to you. I was not a big Knicks fan until Jalen Brunson walked through the door. Now I'm looking at this guy, and every time I watch him, he makes shots. Threes, driving layups. He gets to anywhere on the floor that he wants to because he's that good. They beat Milwaukee yesterday. All right, they got handed their lunch pail the time they played him last week. Antetokounmpo is a hell of a place, a top three player in the league, no question. But they didn't get a lot of production yesterday against the Knicks. The Knicks deserve to win the game. You got Milwaukee, 
Philadelphia, Boston. Well, Boston's got the best record in the league. Those are the top three teams in the East. Until recently, I had Indiana as four. No more. Now I've got the Knicks. Top four in the NBA. Out of the East. Certainly top four in the East. And once you get into the playoffs in a seven-game series, who knows? Coming up in a little bit, we're going to be talking a little bit of Warriors basketball with Tim Roy, the radio voice of the Warriors. Their coach, Steve Kerr, who I have a lot of respect for, got really angry yesterday after the game. Now, he didn't blast the officiating. He did, but in a subtle way. He questioned a lot of the calls. And when you look at it, Jokic from Denver was 18 for 18 from the foul line. The whole Warrior team took 23 shots from the free throw line. There's got to be an inquiry. And I'm not laying it on the officiating any more than I'm going to do it in the NFL. But I have to say, I think the officiating in the NBA has taken a step step backwards. And I would say the same thing about the officiating in the NFL. No matter when you look up, there's that little yellow flag in the corner of your TV set. There's a penalty. You You can throw a flag on every single play. Because on every play, somebody on the offensive line is holding. Most times they catch it, sometimes they don't. So you can throw a flag on every play. Okay? You can give me, you can throw a flag on every single play. I got to take this call because I'm interested in the the subject matter. So let's go to, um, let's go to Dave. Dave in uh, in the hey, car phone. Hey, Dave. Hey, how are you? Happy holidays. Thanks for having me on. You know, I, I'm looking at um, I'm looking at Brunson with the Knicks, and it's it's bringing me back to the time of Bernard King and the time of Patrick Ewan. It's a little scary for me. We get this gem, this player who we actually got on the cheap. Okay, who's a, who's really a star player, and now it appears that. Instead of trying to take a risk and bringing someone, someone in who's young and talented, who he can possibly unlock, because he has the ability to do that. He's that good. He's established himself as that. We're going to surround him with just go-getter, regular, hard-playing guys, and he's going to end up blowing out. He's going to end up getting ground into the into the into the uh, the basketball courts throughout the country because. He can't do it on his own, but we haven't had someone like him in the building for so long. I say the Knicks take a risk. Take a risk and just trade a couple of players who are regular. Go after Zion. Flush all that controversy down the toilet. When he gets here and plays with a guy like Brunson, he will become unlocked. And it's not just about Brunson who's already taken his game to the next level. He will unlock that player and take him to the next level. That's what I think the Knicks need to do. We can be complacent for another 10 years, and then the cycle will start all over again unless we get a lottery pick. And by the way, Patrick Ewan was a lottery pick. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks for the call. I uh, Look, everybody always wants to go out in there and get this guy, this guy. Zion Williamson is a, is a man-child. I mean, he is... A, a, just look at him. I mean, the guy's like, he, he's a semi, semi tractor trailer. 
He's incredible, the physique he's got. But that doesn't mean I'm going to win with him. I think Brunson, first of all, if you don't have a good point guard, you're not winning in this league. That's just obvious. Michael Jordan was not a point guard. Michael Jordan was a guard. He could play either one, one or two. He could play the small forward position. LeBron James could play any of five positions. Any of five positions. Mark it down. And I'm not getting into the LeBron versus Michael debate because that's ridiculous. Michael was the best of his time. LeBron's the best of his time. End of discussion. I'll get back to the Knicks in just a little bit because I'm not through with the Jets yet. I, I Look, in watching the games that I watched over the weekend, and you watch and you see certain things, look, the Jets kicked the winning field goal to win in beating Washington. Fine. Is anybody going to put that down as one of the most memorable games of all time? Obviously not. It was a win. That's the only time I've ever seen a team win a game when their fans were not ecstatic over it. Because they've blown their share of games during the year. And with that offensive line, they're not going to win many games. Understand that. That offensive line's going to get somebody killed. It is what it is. And, and as for, look, when, when Robert Sala, the other day, and I made a comment about this thing, and I'm going to go back to it. I said, when Robert Sala said, basically, in the next two years, we're going, to go, we're going after winning a championship. And I went, excuse me? You're going to win a champion? You're going to contend for a championship in the next two years? How's that possible? Aaron Rodgers will be back next year. That will upgrade the position. No doubt about it. Beyond that, what what I saw from Brees Hall yesterday was, look, I consider who he did it against. The fact of the matter is, the guy's a big time back. And Garrett Wilson's a big time wide receiver. If they get Devontae Adams from the, uh, the, the, uh, the Raiders, and if Aaron Rodgers can talk him into coming, by whatever means necessary, he will upgrade the football team. He will make Garrett Wilson more dangerous. That's how good I think he is. But until they fix that offensive line, you're all just kidding yourself. Let's talk to uh, John in Freehold. He joins me next. What do you say, John? Howard. Yeah, speak to me. Howard. Happy, yes. new, happy New Year, Howard. Same to you. Happy holidays. Same to you. All the best to you and your family. I enjoy listening to you, Howard. Thank you. Um, I want to talk some New York Jet football with you, if I may. And I want to expand on what you've been talking about. Um, it's a no-brainer. It's obvious that the offensive line is a major issue. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be shored up. If Aaron Rodgers is going to truly maximize his time here within the next year to two years. Uh, but I don't think that's the only thing. I think Joe Douglas has a whole hell of a lot of work to do in the offseason. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers could be part of the uh, decision-making. I don't think he could be the uh, de facto general manager because we all saw how that worked this year. Um, if I'm Joe Douglas and I look at this team in its totality, Howard, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do if I'm in this seat. If I'm sitting in the captain's chair, first thing I'm doing is addressing the offensive line, as you've mentioned, and many callers have as well. Uh, real football fans, real knowledgeable football people that watch this team and know the game, know the offensive line uh, is a major concern, as, as well as the games are won and lost, in my opinion, in the trenches, Howard. It, 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 you instill your will and you beat down the opposing team and you grind them into submission, and that's how you win in this league. 
Um, with that being said, Mekhi Becton can't come back on his football team, Howard. He, he has no motor. He has no heart. He has no desire. He has no grind to his game. Uh, he's always hurt, and he's unreliable. You can't bring him back. It, it would be a total waste of uh, investment and tying up of the salary cap to bring him back. You can't bring in the uh, offensive lineman they brought in from Green Bay, uh, Billy Turnstile Turner. He can't come back. Uh, and you can't bring back Dwayne Brown. I'm sorry. Dwayne Brown was a great veteran, multi-time pro bowler, but his better days are past him. He's too slow. He's too old. He's injury prone now. And his missed assignment is what cost Aaron Rodgers his torn Achilles on the fourth play of uh, this, the opening game this past season. So what do we do to address this, Howard? What I'm going to do, number one, is I'm going to take that first-round draft pick, and I'm going to draft either that kid from Penn State or I'm going to draft a big kid, Joe Alt, out of Notre Dame, who looks like a Tony Bissell clone, Tony Baselli clone. And I'm going to fortify that left side and, and cover that blind side for Aaron Rodgers in a big way. There's a lot of quality right tackles in the free agent market. I'm going to bring one of them in. I'm going to put him on the right side. I'm going to slide AVT over to his natural position of guard where he belongs. I think we've sound, we found somebody in Joe Tipman. I think Joe Tipman is a future pro bowler at the center position. I think Joe Douglas did a good uh, selection with him. I think Carter Warren, who they brought in as a rookie this year at a pitch showed signs. You want to continue to develop him and have him grow for depth. And I like what I see out of uh, Max Mitchell as well. He's shown potential in his first couple of years. John, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, John, I'm going to have to interrupt you right here because you made a lot of great points. And you're right on the money with what, what the needs are. The offensive line is atrocious. There's no other word to describe it. It's just awful. And I don't want to sit there and point fingers at Becton or this guy or that guy. Look, the combination of injuries, the combination of uh, just, just bad draft picks when it came to the offensive line, all of that has hurt this Jet team immeasurably. You are listening to Howard David on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to the program. It is a program, not a show. Otherwise, I'd be singing and dancing, and you do not want to see that. Joining us now is Tim Roy. He's the radio voice of the Golden State Warriors, I think, for over 20 years, Tim. Am I right? Yeah, this is my uh, 29th with the Warriors, my 35th in the league. So, But you did yeah. it the right way. I mean, you, came, well, you were in Utica, you were in Birmingham. You, I mean, you, you, know, you cut your eye teeth in places other than major markets, and that's the way a lot of us have to do it. You know, and, and um, you know, I didn't come from a, a broadcasting family or anything. I the family of engineers and teachers and coaches and stuff. But uh, the... The cool thing for me was those days, the days on the way up. Those are my favorite, you know, stories. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's great because, you know, what, what happens is when you, when you get to your goal, when you get to where you want to be, you know, you, you really cherish it and you savor it because, you know, you know how hard it was to work. You know about all the bus rides you took and, and you know, all the phone calls you, you had to make, all the, you know, little broadcasting boxes you had to set up yourself. Yeah. And, tiny little towns across this America. And so it's cool. Really cool. Yeah. You, you learn the hard way. Uh, and when I first came to the then New Jersey Nets, they weren't very good. Their best player was Buck Williams. Good player, but they had very little around him. And so predictably they lost. Uh, I remember one time and on the road, I worked alone. Uh, and you've had that experience of working alone. You know how hard it is. Um, you know, at home, I had a partner. Uh, it was either Michael Korn or Jim Spinarkle. When I went on the road, I worked solo. We went into 
Utah one time when they had during the Carl Malone, John Stockton era, and they were really good, as you remember. In the first half of the game, they got a 30-point lead. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world am I going to do in the second half, working solo, knowing the outcome of the game? So it caught me across the court was the owner of the Utah Jazz, Larry Miller, who was a big car dealer in the state of Utah. He sat there with every refreshment from the refreshment stand that you could buy. So I started doing play-by-play of his eating. <laughs> because I had nothing That's else funny. I had nothing else to talk about. So I figured, you know, I'm going to hear it right. when I get back. Uh, I come back into the Nets office like three days later, and as I'm walking through the office, the president of the team, Bob Cassiola, who hired me, said, hey, you got a minute? And I go, uh-oh, I'm going to pay for this. I go into his office, and he says, I listened to the Utah game. I said, yeah. He goes... If you didn't do what you did, that would be miserable because at least I got a laugh out of a bad game. You know, see, but you crossed oh, your yeah. you know, you crossed your path with these kinds of things. Look, you've been fortunate and certainly in the most recent years. You've got a Golden State Warrior team that's very talented, the best shooter in the league in Steph Curry, without question, in my mind. Uh, but things have kind of gone south a little bit where I believe the Warriors are 15 and 15 right now, out of the playoff picture, do you expect anything sudden to happen by way of a trade? No, I wouldn't expect anything sudden. I think they they are going to be listening and, and talking, I think, up until the deadline. I think they owe it to themselves to do that. And I think the other part that they have is that they really do have a lot of good players. They have a lot of winnable games that have slipped through their fingers so far. And, but I think they're finding some of the combinations that are going to work for them, and they've they've been uh, revitalized here. They've won you know five of their last six by just having some younger players in the in the on the floor, and Trace Jackson Davis and Brandon Pajemski, and those guys have really elevated the the energy level for for Golden State. And I, I think you know part part of the uh, I think situation was that the, the two of their players got off to poor starts, and, and Wiggins and Clay Thompson. And they can survive one of those, but not two. You know, Draymond's been in and out of the lineup multiple times, whether it be injury or suspension. And so they've really never had a stretch where they've been able to get guys going at the same time. Uh, I think they still have a chance to be a really special team. I think they showed that in the, the game against Boston. Uh, but now they need to go and, and win enough games to get themselves in a position in the West to where they don't have to you know, be in the play-in. I think that would be the goal for the rest of the year, to stay out of the play-in bracket, get into a playoff bracket, and then, you know, see what the, see what you can do in the postseason. He is Tim Roy, the radio voice of the Warriors. Do we have that cut from uh, Steve Kerr yesterday after the game as he was talking about the officiating? Let's see what he had to say. Yeah, I have no no problem with the officials themselves. Um, they're all across the league. We have really good officials. I have a problem with the way we we are um, legislating defense out of the game. That's what we're doing in the NBA. The way we're teaching the officials, we're just enabling players to BS their way to the foul line. If I were a fan, I wouldn't have wanted to watch the second half of that game. It was disgusting. It was just, you know, just baiting baiting refs into the calls, but the refs have to make those calls because that's how they're taught. So I have a real problem with the way we are. We've legislated defense out of the game 
in this league. And uh, the players are really smart in this league. And for, for over the last decade or so, uh, they've gotten smarter and smarter. And they're just enabled. We have enabled the players and they are taking full advantage. And it's a parade to the free throw line. And it's disgusting to watch. Thanks. Uh, Tim, let me ask you, was there any repercussions from uh, uh, Steve's uh, statement of yesterday by the league? I have I have not heard any. Uh, I, but then again, I've been sort of uh, uh, running some errands. You know, we that that game yesterday ended uh, three games in less than four nights uh, for the Warriors, and so I had a couple things I had to do today. So this afternoon, I've been offline. I haven't really been looking at anything, but I've not heard of, or seen of any uh, repercussions from from that. Uh, he was frustrated, obviously. I think we all were. I mean, uh, I got frustrated calling that third quarter. There were like 28 free throws in that third quarter, and nobody wants to come and see that. And and I, I, I think it reflected in the crowd's reaction. They were very quiet yesterday in Denver. That was not a loud crowd. They weren't really in the game because there were so many stop-start, you know, situations. And, and you know, part of me agrees with his premise is that, you know, we have guys who have, learned that if they run into people and throw their head back and throw their arms up and they're going to get a foul call. And uh, to me, as you know, Howard, all you have to do is either call that a flopping technical or not call it at all. And players will adjust. They, they adjust really quickly to how the game is being called. And I think we can get that part of the game out of the game because it just, you know, is that what we want? Do we want to teach young players to run into the defender, throw their arms up, and 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 call that a foul. Is that really the way we want to teach the game? And that that would be my question. I'll underscore that by reminding everybody that Jokic had 18 foul shots yesterday. He made all 18. He deserves credit for that, obviously. The Warriors, as a yes, team, he does. Yes, he does. I think had 23 total attempts. Is that right? Something like that, yeah. I okay. don't know, I, I didn't uh, memorize it. But, you know, so but yeah, and those are career highs for him. He tied his career high in attempts, and, and it's a new career high for Jokic to make. So give him credit. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to get that call, and you know, and it helped his team win the game because the thing, the other, the other part of the equation that people don't realize about free throws is that what does that do for Denver? Well, it keeps the Warriors from getting a stop and getting a rebound and moving the ball up the floor quickly. So even if he misses the free throw, you're still going up against a half court defense, and that just makes the other team so much better because you you they're, they're setting their defense before you can get into your offense, and and that that's a problem. Uh, Tim, let me ask you the, the upcoming schedule. Boy, I think it's it's godsend. I mean, what do you have? Six or seven straight games at home? Yeah, you know it's been a weird weird year this year. You know, we started with a whole bunch of road games to begin the year. Uh, I think it was, what, seven of our first nine were on the road. Then we had sort of a mix, you know, uh, schedule. And now it's going to be home heavy. You know, we don't fly until the 10th of, uh, or excuse me, the 11th, I think, of, of January. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of home games between now and then the end of January. We pay the piper in, in February and March. But uh, but it, it's, I think it's really good for this team because, as I said, they're, they're trying to get all their moving parts together. Gary Payton, the second, should be coming back soon. So, you know, it, it, I wouldn't want to be uh, uh, the coaches because deciding who gets minutes with this squad is going to be really difficult because they ha- they do have a lot of good players. During this homestand, you got the Nuggets again. You got the Mavericks as they bring in. <laughs> 
Doncic, who gets to the foul line extensively. So that'll be kind of interesting to see. I must tell you straight up, I'm a big Steve Kerr fan. Um, When he was with the uh, San Antonio Spurs in his playing career, I'm on the court court side talking to somebody, and he comes up to me and he goes, Howard? I said, yeah, I'm Steve Kerr. I said, yeah, I know who you are. He goes, I had somebody told me that that was you there, and I had to tell you that I'm a big fan. I said, really? He goes, yeah. He says, I love your football work. I listen to you on Monday Night Football. And I said, wow, Steve, he's just, I mean, you, you blew my ego straight uptown. But ever since that day, obviously, I've been a big Steve Kerr fan. I think he's a hell of a coach. And the thing I like about him is that he doesn't blow his top to the point of where you want to say, all right, calm down. He's, he seems to be pretty even-tempered, and I just think he's one of the best coaches in the league. He's really one of the best, I think, Howard, in, in terms of, of keeping himself uh, under control. He does boil over. Happens a couple times a year. I think every NBA coach has a couple of those moments. And I'll tell you where, you know, he, you know he's not only really good at, at, you know, he doesn't have an ego in this. He will look at a play that maybe another team runs, an out-of-bounds play from years ago and say, you know what? I like that. We can run that. And he incorporates that into his stuff. And, and then the other part about it is that he is really, I think the best in the game right now. And one of the best of all time, if not the best at letting players know where they stand, you know, a a player on the warriors under Steve Kerr will go into a game that I'm, I'm talking to guys at the end of the bench. I'm talking to the guys who maybe are in and out of the rotation or in the rotation they know if they're going to play big minutes or not. Because he's going to say, here's our plan. Here's, here's what your role is. Or maybe tonight, tonight, you're not going to get heavy minutes. You know, stay ready. We may need you at some point. But, you know, you're not going to be in the initial plan. So all those guys go into a game knowing, you know, what, what's going on. So there's nobody on the bench going, well, why am I not playing? They know why they're not playing. And so and I think that heads off a lot of the, the sniping and, and the, you know, the petty complaints that can happen sometimes in a locker room when players get frustrated or feel like they're not being, you know, uh, trusted or not being respected. Appreciate your time, uh, Tim. As always, uh, we go back a long ways. You keep doing the great job you're doing and, and enjoy the, uh, the the rest of the NBA season. I appreciate that. And I want to wish everybody happy holidays and a very happy new year. Same to you, Tim. Thanks a million. He is Tim Roy, the radio voice of the Golden State Warriors. When we come back, and I want to hear your calls at 800-919-3776. We'll talk Jets. We'll talk Giants. We'll talk uh, what's happening the rest of the year in the NFL. We remember Yankees and Mets didn't get to where we wanted them to get. We thought there would be improvement with the Jets and the Giants. Has not happened that way. So what are we doing? Waiting for the baseball season? I don't think so. A lot more to talk about. Who is the best team in the NFL? Did San Francisco take a step back last night in the game that they lost? Brock Purdy going to throw four interceptions again? I doubt it. He had a bad game. Happens to everybody. Happens to you. Tell me you haven't had a day uh, that didn't turn out the way you wanted to. And yet all you had to do was apologize. So that's with Purdy. Whether you watch him the next time around. You are listening to Howard David on 98.7 ESPN. You know that the Detroit Pistons have lost like 26 in a row. And they're playing the Nets now in Detroit. The Pistons lead is 24 to 21. Is that right? 28 to 21, Detroit. 
<laughs> Look, I don't know what you how you define the word pressure. But pressure is playing the Detroit Pistons who are, are embarking on the longest losing streak, consecutive losses in the history of the league. You don't want to be that team that they beat. I don't care if it's on the road, on home, in the parking lot of your local high school. You do not want to lose to a team like that. Let's talk to uh, Richard. He's in Manhattan. Hey, Richard. Howard, Detroit has to be the only team in the history of all the major sports with a winning record. They were 2-1 and one to go on <laughs> such a streak. Okay, that's got to be guaranteed. No team ever lost more than 15, 20 games, let alone 25, after uh, going 2-1. and one. No way. You know, everyone's saying the Knicks got to get a third start. They're scoring 130 points a game as it is now. What's another score going to do? They need some defense. And, of course, what Kerr is saying is 100% right. That's the problem with the NBA. Not the three-point shot. The lack of defense or the, a lack of emphasis on defense or that they just want high scoring. It's terrible. You cannot watch. There's no such thing as defensive basketball anymore. It's terrible. Let me ask right, you. Howard, let me, Richard, let me yeah. ask you this. Isn't Tom yeah. Thibodeau known for his defense? Well, now he doesn't have deep. Well, when you don't have Mitchell Robinson, you can't have the defense you had when you, you know, he, he was a big, big defensive. You know, they were averaging 18 and a half rebounds a game between him and Hartenstein. I can go back to Willis Reed and uh, Nate Bowman or Willis Reed and Jerry Lucas or Janelli and Lucas or Patrick Ewing and Herb Williams. You can go back wherever you want. They never averaged 18 and a half rebounds per game at the center spot. Never. That's how good they were doing. And Robinson is a monster on defense. That's a big loss, no doubt about it. Oh, it's bigger than anyone even thinks. Uh, I, I got something for you, Howard. Maybe me and you are the only two people on the radio station that knows what I'm about to say. Last night I watched, I, I didn't watch the Giant game. It wasn't worth, worth it for me to watch the game. I listened on radio. I listened to Bob Papa and uh, Carl Banks. Bob Papa twice said something, and it had me thinking the second time. He said, oh, the, uh, the Giants are going with a, their fourth field goal kicker this year, Mason Crosby. He said the last time and the only other time that happened in their history was 1965. Now, I remembered that year, and that was historical because what happened changed pro football for life. Here's what happened. First of all, 65, the Giants were decent. They were 7-7. Seven and seven. It was Earl Morrill's first year with the Giants. As a matter of fact, the Giants had three quarterbacks who, after they left them, became Super Bowl quarterbacks. Earl Morrill, uh, Fran Tarkington, and Craig Morton. But that's not the point. All right. So that year in 65, they used four field goal kickers, four kickers, not because three guys got injured, but because they were so bad. One of the kickers I remembered was the backup quarterback. I don't know if you remember the name. Bob Timberlake from uh, Michigan. Do you remember that name? You got me. Okay. Well, anyway, so they used four kickers. The I mean, hey, wait, 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 wait. Hey, Richard, wait, yes. wait, if I remembered Bob Timberlake, then I would look at myself in the mirror and say, you're an idiot. All right. Anyway, that's not important. The Giants had to get a field goal kicker for the 66 season. What did they do? They went to the AFL and raided the Buffalo Bills. You remember Pete Gogolak? Yes. Pete Gogolak, Pete Gogolak was the first superstar kicker in pro football. He was the first kicker that kicked from the side, you know, soccer style. Right. 
He went to Princeton. I'll never forget in 64, Princeton played Dartmouth. Dartmouth set two guys under the goalposts with two guys on top of their shoulder pads on their shoulders to try to block the kick. It became, uh, you weren't allowed to do that after that. They had four, anyway, that was another story. So they signed Gogolak. Al Davis, uh, uh, Lamar Hunt, they went wild in the AFL. And Tech Schramm, Wellington Merritt, that's what set in wheels in motion the NFL having a combined uh, season with the AFL. And then they combined the draft. They were going to combine for the Super Bowl. That brought on the Super Bowl. And ultimately, that brought on the merger. Everyone thinks it was the Joe Namath game in 60 no. January. It wasn't. It no. was set aside. And the big thing was the Pete Gogolak. That was huge. Now, Howard, what's remarkable, was a month ago, George McGinnis died. That in 74, when the Knicks raided the ABA, that set the motion for the ABNBA merger. So within a month, I got two references in my brain. The Gogolak was unbelievable, as you remember. That was bigger than Andy Messersmith, Catfish Hunter, as far as free agent. That was the first free agent sign. Hey, hey, Richard, and, Richard, I, yes. I appreciate all your well, facts and figures, uh, and you're right on the money with it. Uh, but I'm going to ask you to, uh, the history lesson is fantastic. And by the way, he's right about one thing for sure. Joe Namath and the and Super Bowl three was not the reason why the two leagues merged. Okay, it wasn't. Al Davis deserves credit for that. Lamar Hunt, the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, deserves credit for that. That was a, a joint effort by a lot of people. What Namath did was enhance his reputation and got him into the Hall of Fame. But look it up. Look up in the Hall of Fame. Namath had more interceptions in his career than touchdown passes, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Now, I'm not saying that Joe Namath doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, because I, I think if you add up the whole sum and substance, yes, he deserves it. But the numbers don't, don't, don't scream out Hall of Famer. They just don't, and I'm being quite honest. The Hall of Fame, Al Davis had a lot to do with it. Lamar Hunt had a lot to do with it. And to be quite candid with you, I spoke to Al Davis about that. Uh, he's passed away a few years back. But I'm going to say 15, 18 years ago, when I met Al Davis, even 20 years ago, I met him on the field before a game. John Dockery introduced me to him. And ever since the, from that point on, every time I saw Al, uh, we spent a lot of time talking. Al Davis was hated by his co-owners because he got a lot of publicity and he did a lot of things that a lot of people didn't like. But one of the things that he did do, he encouraged the merger of the two leagues because he knew that it was the right thing financially to do for all of the franchises. 800-919-3776. The Jets with a win. <laughs> My poor grandson. He's, he's saying the Jets won a game. They had no right winning. I would argue with him. But then again, he's smarter than me, so why bother? You are listening to Howard David on 98.7 ESPN. There isn't, and I'm being partial, there's not a better group of music that's better than Motown. When you hear a song, any song, you feel good when you hear it. You just do. My Girl by The Temptations, one of the classics of all time. 800-919-3776. Let's uh, check in with uh, Paul in Queens. Hey, Paul. Howard, how are you? Happy holidays. Thank you for your patience. So Howard, Appreciate what, it. I want you to enlighten this audience from 1998 to 2001. 
you were the great radio voice of the Jets, but you also had a great partner, God rest his soul, in Dave Jennings. No question. I want you to elaborate on Dave Jennings and how knowledgeable he was. He also played for the Jets, was a four-time Pro Bowler with the Giants. But he's one of the most, you guys as a combo in those years were the best because you guys were, you know, I've been listening to radio for a long time. You had such knowledge and such color. I, I don't know if I'll ever see that again, you know, and, you know, I miss that guy, Dave Jennings, man. I really do. You do. <laughs> I, I will tell you this. Dave Jennings, when I walked into the booth every single Sunday, he would be sitting there reading something that was related to the NFL, whether it was primarily rules. He was a big rules guy. And to the point yes, of where yes, I remember. the NFL, there were a bunch of guys in the NFL in the front office, they wouldn't talk to Dave about rules because they felt that he knew more about rules than they did. And they were right. Dave Jennings was Absolutely. one of the, and the thing that, that really shook me up when I heard that he was sick and I called him and I asked him how he was and so on. He says, I'm struggling a little bit. This guy was a workout freak. He would go into the gym twice a day to stay in shape. And so when he developed uh, his health issue, uh, it stunned me because this guy was in the best shape of anybody I'd ever been around. When you looked at him, you know, you saw this guy was a ball guy and and all of that, and so what? All I know is that he knew the game inside and out, and he, he was a connoisseur of rules. So if there was ever a questionable call, he knew the rule that applied to it 100% of the time. 100%, God rest his soul. But listen, Howard, you know the old cliche, and I want you to talk about the state of the Jets, because you're a knowledgeable guy. You, you, you worked in those years with Parcells. The talent was there, but this talent compared to now you know, what the Jets have. I mean, here's the thing. You know, in football, you follow, the, the, the team follows the personality of the coach. I, I, listen, I know this guy's going to stay around, Robert Sala, and his record's not that great, but I just know watching football for so many years, I want you to elaborate. Does he have the quality to take a team like Parcells did when Neil Donald that first year, if you remember, from a, like winning, what, one game to winning nine? I mean, I'm going to hang up. I, don't, I want your really opinion because I really don't see it. I really don't see it. Anyway, have a happy holidays. I'll talk to you soon. Me too, Paul. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Here's Robert Sala yesterday talking about the appreciation he got from Woody Johnson. I speak with Woody every day. Joe speaks with Woody every day. Uh, we all do. And, you know, just, just the language and the conversations. And, you know, he obviously challenges us every day. And uh, But, you know, you just through all those conversations, it was... They're all they're all fruitful, I guess you could say, in, in terms of uh, uh, language and and where this organization is going and the things we need to do to, to progress and and be better for twenty four. So, you know, like I said, I, I'm only focused on the moment. You know, it's we're wired that way as coaches, and uh, you know, but but Woody has never wavered on his support for for us and and the things we're trying to get done. Well, he spoke about the support that he got uh, from Woody, not only himself but for the general manager Douglas. Uh, Look, it's very easy to do as an example. I'll I'll give you the Raiders. Brandon Staley got fired after they got blown out by the the Raiders. They got blown out by, they scored 63 points. Next day, he got fired. There are Jet fans, as we speak, that want to see Robert Sally get fired. That's too easy to do it that way. Because do you have the best team right now wearing Jets green? And the answer is no. The offensive line is abysmal. The quarterback position is 
a microcosm of a bad offensive line. I want to see what this team is going to do when Aaron Rodgers comes back and plays next season, and hopefully the season after that. If they still are poor with Aaron Rodgers and a re- and a hopefully a revamped offensive line, then you've got a reason to, to, put, to throw the axe down on the coach. But not until then. It's too easy to say I give up. Look, I watched that game yesterday. And when they went up 20 to nothing, I considered the opponent. The commanders are not a good football team. But you play who you play, and you can't qualify one team versus another team as you look at your record. It's got to be a whole total sum and substance of what this team is all about. Are they a playoff team? Not yet. And what Robert Salas said the other day, and I, I, I took him to task for what he said, he made a statement that in the next two years, they'll contend for a championship. And I said, I said it on the air. How can you possibly say that, given the state of the Jets as they are right now? They're not any closer to winning a championship. Don't be ridiculous. If Aaron Rodgers comes back 100% healthy, and what he has done for, is a miracle, you have a torn ACL and you come back in three and a half months, that's incredible. It's unheard of. But you bring Aaron Rodgers back and healthy. If they're able to get uh, Devontae Adams from the Raiders and have him rejoin Aaron Rodgers who we played with at Green Bay, Garrett Wilson becomes a better receiver. If on the other side of the line you got Devontae Adams. The tight ends, okay. The running back position. Anybody see what Brees Hall did yesterday? Friend of mine's got him in fantasy. Got 41 points from Brees Hall in fantasy. That's unheard of. He was a one-man wrecking crew. Not only is he a good running back, but he's a good receiver. And it gives you this double dip in terms of what you can use him for. The wide receiver group, I'm going to be Quite honest with this, Garrett Wilson is a super wide receiver. He's a big-time wide receiver. But beyond that, the other guy's got to prove it to me. They just do. Lazard, he's had a woeful year. He's dropped as many balls as he's caught. But let's see what it's like when when he's catching balls thrown by Aaron Rodgers. Let's see what that's all about. Then I'll make a judgment. But isn't it odd that the two football teams in New York both have difficulty at the quarterback position? Ergo, their record. I love when I say ergo, like I know what the heck that means. Look, what I saw from Simeon yesterday, and my wife's in the building right now, she'll tell you. I was screaming at the television set, can you throw the ball more than five yards? Not what I saw yesterday. That was a, that was a, a disgrace. Problem is, they had nobody else to put in. They had to stick with the kid. I can't say that he made one throw that I went, wow. It, it wasn't there. The defense... All right, they build a 20 to nothing lead. And then the defense decided, well, you know, all right, we did our job. 
They'd let Washington back in the game. They had no business being in that game. A good football team that I saw yesterday with a 20 to nothing lead, a good football team is ahead by 36. Not 36 points, but it scored 36. Because they came away with field goals when another good team would have had a touchdown. It is what it is. But why do we complain? We call ESPN New York, whether it's this show or Michael Kay or you, you talk to Don LaGreca, whoever you talk to, and you start screaming about the Jets or this, that, and the other thing, and the Giants or this, that, and the other thing. Can't wait for baseball season. Be careful what you wish for. You're listening to Howard David on 98.7 ESPN. I was not a big Nick fan until Jalen Brunson walked through the door. Now I'm looking at this guy, and every time I watch him, he makes shots. Threes, driving layups. He gets to anywhere on the floor that he wants to because he's that good. They beat Milwaukee yesterday. All right, they got handed their lunch pail the time they played him last week. But they didn't get a lot of production yesterday against the Knicks. The Knicks deserve to win the game. You got Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Boston. Those are the top three teams in the East. Until recently, I had Indiana as four. No more. Now I've got the Knicks. Certainly top four in the East. And once you get into the playoffs in a seven-game series, who knows? You are listening to Howard David on 98.7 ESPN. Who was that guy? Sounds familiar. I think when I watch Jalen Brunson play, I I don't know what he's going to go on from play to play. I'm not supposed to. But when you're when you're doing your research with film and watching your team, the team you're playing, and you don't have an answer for a particular player whether you need a double team or not, if you don't find the answer to that player, he's going to kill you. And Jalen Brunson did it yesterday in Milwaukee. And the one thing I noticed that's different with this year's Nick team versus last year's Nick team is that Jalen Brunson has established himself as the leader of this team. And Julius Randle knows it. Because last year, Julius Randle didn't know it. He spent way too much time arguing with the refs. And if Julius was sitting here right now, I'd say, Julius, how many times have you ever seen a ref change his call because you argued with him? The answer is never. And it wasn't just, it was, it was Tom Thibodeau too. He argued, argues with the refs. I think he's taken that down a peg. Good for him. Realize that you're not going to win the argument. And by that, I mean, he's not going to change the call. It's just not. Let's talk to Spike in St. Petersburg. Hey, Spike. Howard, uh, I'm reflecting on a conversation the other night, and I came up with a couple of uh, three things I wanted to bring up to you. When I mentioned the, I talked to my buddy whose uh, mother dated Marty Glickman, and I told him about Howard David again, and uh, I didn't even know you were on because the schedule's all over the place with good karma. But be it as it may, uh, you're famous for so many things that, that uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a program, I don't sing or dance, all that stuff. But but I reflect back, uh, you, you spoke to my friend Richard before. Richard is a Luddite. You know what a Luddite is, I think? A what? A Luddite. A runite. No, Luddite. L-U-D-I-T-E. He has no computer, no cell phone. <laughs> it's 
He's not. No, Rich, Richard. Richard has been. Richard's about eight or nine years younger than I am. He's a dentist by trade, <laughs> and he's got a, an unbelievable historical memory. It's all in his head, and and he's been calling. I've been calling. My first call, Sports Talk Radio, was John Sterling down at MCA in the seventies. But I came up with two two things I wanted to tell you about. Peter Vesey's a friend of mine. He took me to the as his guest to the last induction in the New York City Basketball Hall of Fame, and uh, and, and I sat in between Lou Conaseca and Cal Ramsey. Hmm. <laughs> you know, so Cal Ramsey he's passed, and and Cal Cal goes, you know who I am? I said, know who I am? I, I Brother went to NYU. I mean, you know, we went through that whole. He was so happy. He had such a nice smile. I think he was doing community affairs. And then with Louie, it's just like he's an encyclopedia. And, and it's just such a thrill to me to be around it. But but two other things. One was uh, when Andrew Tony, who uh, the owner of that team, never believed he was injured. I'm sure you know that whole story. Uh, Harold Katz, I think. Is oh, that yes. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the Philadelphia owner. Right, right. Andrew Tony went to Southwest Louisiana. He played about five and a half, six and a half years in the NBA, but he he destroyed the Celtics, which suits me as a Nick man fine. And he got that infamous nickname of the Boston Strangler when he put up forty up in Boston. Right. You know, nothing makes me happier uh, besides a Nick uh, win than a Celtic loss. But the the last thing is, so uh, we're talking about. Red Auerbach, uh, my brother-in-law who recently passed in the late 80s, he was working at Eastern District High School. That's where Red Auerbach went. And Red Auerbach lived in Washington, D.C. And and he did more for, for civil rights than I'm sure you know the whole history. But I got an opportunity. You know that famous picture with Bill Russell and Jim Brown and, and Jackie Robinson? Yes, uh, yes. Okay. I, I, I'm blessed. I'm really blessed. I feel blessed to talk to you and reconnecting and the Sonny Rising story. It's all good stuff because there's good stuff in this world and then you're, you're, you're good stuff. But the bottom line is I met each one of them and I spent quality time, you know, five to 20 minutes with each one of them. And and there's a little kid growing up in Crown Heights and walking to Ebbets Field. The Jackie Robinson patted me on the head and, and, and crouched down to talk to me and asked me what I wanted to be. I said, I want to be like you. I want to be a ball player. And I, I know baseball is not even your best sport. My dad told me. And about 25 years later, he's walking down, uh, I think, Park Avenue. He worked for Chock Full of Nuts. And, uh, of course, I met him. I reintroduced myself. And, and of course, he couldn't remember that story. He probably did it. 10,000 kids. Right. But to me, and I went to high school with, with Louis Alcinda. You know, he was Powell a Powell Memorial. Memorial. Powell Memorial, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I spoke to Jim Brown. I spoke to Jackie Robinson, Phil Russell. I mean, I feel so blessed. And, and it's just uh, really getting you back. I'm, I'm not putting you in that conversation, but I loved your play by play. Richard alluded to it because we're radio guys. You know, I've even synced up my radio with the TV so there's no uh, delay. And I love listening to play by play on the radio. And that's why when Marty Glickman, who nurtured, you know, the Albert family, or you know who they all are. Oh, yeah. And I think. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I got I spoke to a good friend of yours today too. Uh, 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 two of them, well, Larry Daughtry and uh, Bill uh, Bill Daughtry and Larry Hardesty. Uh huh. And, and both obviously. Larry, hey, Spike. Yeah, uh, let me La let me let me just stop you for a second. I'm going to amplify the Jackie Robinson story a little bit. I was going yeah. to I was going to school at night and working during the day for an advertising company in New York. 
I'm walking okay. down 43rd Street, approaching mm-hmm. Grand Central Station, which is Lexington Avenue. And that's yeah, where Chuck, yeah, that's where Chuck Fulanut's main executive office not, was. Not. Okay, mm-hmm. so now I'm walking down the street, and in the distance, coming towards me, is this man, and I'm going, oh my God, it's Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. Now, I stood, I stood there as he walked mm-hmm. past me, and like an idiot, I'm staring at the guy, and I didn't stop him. Mm-hmm. And then I'm saying to myself, mm-hmm. you got a chance to say hello to Jackie Robinson, you idiot. I ran down the street and stopped him, and I said, Mr. Robinson, you don't know me. My name's Howard David, and uh, I want you to know that when you were playing for the Dodgers, I, uh, you were my hero. I wore number 42 with my baseball uniform. I wore number 42 with my basketball uniform. And he stood there. He stood there. Jackie Robinson stood there and talked to me for a half an hour. Doesn't know me from Adam. And he talked to me. And and then he said to me at the end, do do you want me to sign something? And I I looked at my pockets. I didn't have any. I had some money. I took a dollar bill out and I said, here's, if you can sign this. He signed the dollar bill. Which is you still sitting, have it. Yeah, which I said, are you kidding? <laughs> that, that, doesn't, that doesn't go away. The fact of the matter is that Jackie Robinson, when he played in the 50s, keep this in mind, he didn't get into the into Major League Baseball until he was 28 years old. He was yeah, 28 yeah. years old when he first came in. Yeah. So yeah. He, he didn't, he played what, six, seven, eight years? That's it. He did. He wouldn't go to the Giants. He did more for this country than uh, just about anybody else at that time. And I had a very similar conversation with Bill Russell. I'm up at the NBA store. I have a Corinthian leather knit jacket autographed by Walt Clyde Frazier, who I know fairly well and flew back from Atlanta where his family was twice with him, and James Earl Jones, who was sitting right across from each other. It was wonderful. But, but the bottom line is, I remember, you know, Talking uh, to, to 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 all these wonderful people, Bill Russell says he, he's selling some hawking some book up there, and I'm looking at him. He sees he's sees my jacket. And he says, "Hey, you come over here. You must hate me." I said, <laughs> "I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. I respect you, and you're the greatest winner ever in organized sports." He says, "But I beat your team all the time." I said, "You know, <laughs> Mr. Russell, no, Bill." He says, "Yeah, that great cackle for a laugh." Oh yeah, and he said, "Oh yeah,", yeah. and he said says to me this, what did you like about my game? I said, I'm a, I know basketball inside out. I've been to, at this point in my life, 6,000 Nick games, television, radio, uh, season tickets for 30 years in the garden. But the bottom line, I said, when you blocked the shot, you kept it in balance. Yeah. Hey, Spike, I'm going to have None to let you it. go. And I appreciate all, all your insight. It's really well done by you. But look, you get a chance. Most people do this. And I'm and I'm guilty of the same thing. When you see somebody who is famous on the street, and Jackie Robinson is my example, I froze. I mean, I'm like, at the time, I'm like, I don't know, 20. I'm, he's walking down the street. I'm going, oh, my God, it's Jackie Robinson. And most people... Look, most people remember him as a baseball player, but he was more than that. He fought for civil rights when it wasn't that popular to do that. He was also an incredibly intelligent man on top of everything else. But when the Dodgers, and I never forgave Walter O'Malley for this, when they traded him to the Giants, I said, you did what? And good for Jackie Robinson. God rest his soul. He refused to go to the Giants. The hated Giants. Refused. 
I met Bobby Thompson one day uh, on the field at, uh, at, at MetLife Stadium. Then it was Giant Stadium. He was there with his wife. And my wife and I were walking. Uh, that's when I was doing the Jets. We were walking uh, on the field, and, and I said, oh, look, there's Bobby Thompson over there. I got to go meet this guy. He broke my heart when I was a little kid. The shot heard around the world in 1951. He broke my heart. And I went up to him and introduced myself, and I said, you broke my heart as a kid. And his wife says to me, have you gotten over it yet? And I said, never. Then I'll take the story even further. I'm at a charity golf tournament for Marty Lyons Foundation on Long Island, and I was paired with Ralph Branca, the pitcher that gave up that home run. I sat down in the golf cart, introduced myself to Ralph. We, we made some small talk, and there were got some young guys over there just giving him a hard time. Hey, Ralph, you're the guy that gave up the home run ball in 1951. And Ralph was starting to get steamed. And I said to him, Ralph, ignore those kids. What do they know? He said, no, nah, I can't ignore them. They're really getting, he used some choice words. But I said, Ralph, give it up. They don't matter to you. Give it up. He screamed at them. He said, you know, you jerk, I won 21 games that year. And the fact of the matter is that Branca wasn't the one who deserved the blame for that. It was Charlie Dressen, the manager. He forgot that in the first game of that series, Branca gave up a home run to Bobby Thompson. So why is he bringing him in the game? I mean, sometimes the wrong people get blamed for things. And the truth hurts in some in some matter. But fact of the matter is, that's history. And no matter how old you are, if you heard about the shot heard around the world, you knew exactly what people are talking about. You are listening to Howard David on 98.7 ESPN.